Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Uh, but first, let's pray. Dear Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read today and your words proclaimed, that we may hear with joy what you have to say. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. continue by looking at the whole armor of God as we are taking inventory of piece by piece what God has given to us. And um, we will this morning be looking at having our shoes um, for our feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Uh, we're looking at the gospel. And one of the things as we re re review this is it's helpful to remember how much of this is the armor of God, that we are armed with what God has done and with what God gives to us, and to an extent we, we imitate and we enter into that, but it is primary that it is God's truth and to which we are, you know, we, we hold integrity to that truth, but it's that it's God's righteousness that is given to us in Christ Jesus and we live into that righteousness. We live holiness, but it is his righteousness. And it is the same here that, um, that we have the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of peace is something given to us. It's not something we do and a work we do. I, uh, very much a um, large part of my life, um, this has always been given as though it is our efforts of sharing the gospel our efforts of telling other people about Jesus. And we are absolutely to do that. We're commanded to share the gospel. We're commanded to um, give the good news to others. But, there, you know, there's a danger of us making anything in the Bible about ourselves instead of Christ. There's a danger of making even the, the good news of the gospel more of a work that we're supposed to do rather than a gift God has given to us. And so I, I think there's other places where we're certainly told to share the good news. But here I want us to see that there's a preparedness to enter into this fight. There, there's a readiness to stand firm that is given to us by the gospel of peace. In other words, our, our motivation for fighting, our motivation to stand firm is given to us in this good news. So we're going to look a little bit about the gospel uh, reminding ourselves what it is, 
Um, I did a, did a class out at Mount Carmel that reviewed these things. So um, Alan and Barrett lips might start moving along with mine as I recite these parts, and y'all are welcome to get up and, and share parts, but so it'll be a little bit of a repeat, and many of you have heard this, because we're going to look at a, a program that's called uh, Two Ways to Live, and many of y'all have gone through that, and we've shared that quite often. We, we kind of like the idea of, of having a consistent way of where we know and know how to share, and, and so the scriptures in your notes, uh, list in your notes this morning, um, are the outline for that gospel presentation. And twowaystolive.com is a site you can go to and kind of see that. Um, so we're going to um, share that. And those of y'all who have studied with the video, you'll notice I might get into an Australian accent as I start doing this, as it comes to us from... Um... So what is the gospel before we start looking at these passages? Um, we use gospel for a lot of things, and the temptation... Um, is to talk about us as though we are the gospel. Um, at, at times we talk about, uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, um, share the gospel, use words if necessary. Um, maybe you've heard the, the, the idea of, of living the gospel or being the gospel. And I understand what people mean by those things. We want to live lives that are consistent with the gospel. We want to live lives that show that we have been transformed by Jesus but in some ways, those don't make a lot of sense because the word gospel, let's take away from the, the, the religious overtones and meanings, what we're talking about is someone proclaiming good news. So in our older English translations, we would talk about glad tidings of great joy. It's the same word. Glad tidings is good news. And so for as an example, you know, if... Um, you know, if you, if you were in a city that was besieged, and if people came to you and said, as they have been saying in Kiev, to uh, make Molotov cocktails, get in this position to defend yourself, um, here's the information, they're coming and be ready, all that information of what you need to do would be good advice. It would be good counsel. It would be a good idea and a good thing to do but it's not good news. Good news is when they come and say the enemy was at the gates, but they've been destroyed and the army is retreating and we are now free. That is good news. And so we, we don't want to take the commands and confuse them with the gospel. We're commanded to live a certain life. We're commanded to live in obedience. But that, that is good counsel. That is good law. That's good instruction. But it's not good news. Good news is that God has destroyed sin and death. He has forgiven us, and we are free. And that is the good news we celebrate. So that's to, to say that uh, we share the gospel and use words as necessary would be kind of like saying, uh, you know, watch the news and turn the volume on if you want to understand what's going on. Words have to explain what's going on. And so we're going to look at these words that share with us what the gospel is. And to get that first, we see who God is. God is the one who created all things and puts them in order. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord, um, you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. That, that God has made everything. And because of that, he is in control. So very much the lesson that um, um, Sherry was trying to show with uh, the kids. Um, God is much more in control. <laughs> that was, 
I just thought the bravery of trying to bring order into this, but it is that God gets to decide. It's God's creation, therefore God gets to decide. And we are in a really bizarre time because people are living with this idea that whatever I want the world to be, whatever meaning I want there to be, I can create that and I can enforce on others to participate in my delusions of what reality is. We're in a strange time because we're trying to say, I can create the world based on what I want it to be. And you have to use the words that I want. You have to use the vocabulary and you have to play along with what I want the world to be. The truth is, it is God's reality. And regardless of your belief, regardless of you, where you hope the world might be or what you want it to be, it is God's world. It is God's reality, and we live in that reality. God created us to govern this world under his reality, under his law, and under his rules. He, he created us, Adam and Eve, to be in the garden to steward his creation and care for it, intend it to live in accordance with the way he has ordered the world to live. And he's put us here, and yet we have failed miserably. Just any moment of, of looking at the world around us, we see that we don't govern this creation in accordance with God's will. How often do we use, we see people who've used opportunities um, and the power they have not to care for and govern and, and bring peace and bring um, order, but to use their power to build themselves up, to take resources away from others to put others down how often do we see others who uh, you know des destroy so that they can get what they want you know th this is what we call sin I think there's a tendency maybe we think of sin as kind of a haha little vices people do or maybe we think of sin as those things those really really bad people do but sin is something we all do. Um, I believe it was Reinhold Niebuhr who said the doctrine of original sin is the only scientifically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. We know others don't live according to God's law. We know we don't live according to God's law. The, the example has been used that our own words would condemn us, that if we were to, to have a recording of ourselves and you know, if our, our phone was constantly recording us, how many times have you said, that's wrong, they shouldn't have done that, there ought to be a law, somebody shouldn't have done that, and, and how often those same things we have found ourselves doing, that, that we know things are wrong, we've done things are wrong, so that even someone who doesn't believe Scripture would find themselves being condemned by their own words. That's why it's so easy to point out hypocrisy of public people. You know, they, they say one thing when it's the other party, and you can find them doing the same thing when, when they're in control. And so the Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53, 6, all we, have, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone our own way. That, that's our thing. We don't live under God's law. We don't live under God's um, rules. We rebel against him. Um, 
And that brings us to the bad news, which explains the good news. The bad news is we have turned from one who will not um, overlook our misdeeds. We come to a God who is a perfect judge and one who is perfect in his righteousness and holiness. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it is appointed to one man once to die and after that comes judgment. There, there's something in us that knows we will be judged. That's why we're constantly trying to justify ourselves, why we tr- constantly offer excuses for why we've done something we know is wrong. There's something deep in our heart that knows that we will face judgment. Um, I, 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 I can remember preparing for a sermon um, a few years back on guilt and the number of articles in psychological magazines and secular magazines that were discussing the overwhelming sense of guilt so many people have and trying to explain that away and trying to come up with reasons why we've, we've accumulated that. And the reason is we're guilty. We feel guilty because we are guilty and we know that we're guilty. And, and we, we look for excuses and we look for ways to cover it up, but we know in our hearts that if we were held to the perfect standard, we stand condemned. And so here is the good news, the great gospel that we celebrate. And I hope you hear it in any message, anytime someone's in this pulpit. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And he gives us his righteousness. It's the good news that even was prophesied in Isaiah, the, the second part of that same verse. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That my guilt has been taken care of. The wrong that I have done has been covered over. His blood has been shed as the perfect sacrifice to pay for my sins. The perfect judge will hold every sin accountable. There is not one wrong that will not be covered, even by either from us paying for it or from Jesus taking it to the cross. And so your guilt and that sense of guilt, if you are trusting in Jesus, is a lie because any guilt has now been taken to the cross and covered over and his righteousness has been poured out on you so that 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 breastplate of righteousness that we talked about a few weeks back is yours. You are clothed in his righteousness. His, um, His death has taken your sin The one who went to the cross also rose again. It's not just that our sins are covered. It's that now we have new life. It's not just that we're forgiven, but we're forgiven and brought into a new um, obedience with Christ, a new life with Christ, a new righteousness, so that we're we're not just saying, okay, um, I'm forgiven and I can sit back and take it easy. It's I'm forgiven and now I walk in obedience I walk in this new life that he's given to us. First um, Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That he conquered death and we have this new life of incredible joy, of incredible freedom of incredible newness that we know from here until eternity, we are growing closer and closer to God who made us. And we're we're being drawn more and more into his presence and becoming more and more like him. 
And that, of course, brings us to um, the confrontation that anytime we hear this message, the question comes to us, am I living, continuing to rebel against God? Saying, you know, most part, everything God says I agree with, but on occasion, I want to do things my way. I, I want to say, God, listen to my advice. I know your rules say one thing, but I have a better idea in this situation. We always have good reasons for it, and we, have, you know, we always have good excuses why we can tell God that we really know better and put ourselves in his place. So you, do you continue to live like that? There's, there's many who are, have membership in a church who attend, but in their hearts they continue to say, I am going to be God. Or do we submit to him? Do we trust in him and do we realize we bring nothing to our salvation, that we depend completely and solely on his grace and his mercy, and that we receive that, and in doing so, we also receive this new life that he offers to us, where day after day, we rely on grace. We learn more about him through reading scripture. We, We draw closer to him through prayer. We walk with one another in this fellowship that we're part of. That is the life that we're brought to. That is the gospel. And if that is something that you've never rested in, you've never trusted, if you've kind of continued to say, yeah, I believe Jesus died, but let me do my part, your part will never be enough. His part is sufficient. His part covers all. Rest totally in him. If you've kind of thought, well, you know, I kind of want to be a Christian, but I kind of want to continue to do things my way, you can't kind of be a Christian any more than you can kind of be pregnant. You're, you're either there or you're not. Glad Ashlyn's here this morning. Are you trusting totally in him? Let me, if you do, there, there's two things that will happen from this. This is, this is what I think gives us the readiness. This is what gives us the motivation to stand and to fight. One is, You are um, um, able to do good out of a pure heart. What do I mean by that? Well, all right, so a couple of weeks back, I met with a Sunday school class, and someone who always asks good questions asked me the question, what are non-believers, what's their motivation for doing good works? And I didn't like my answer, and I thought about it more, and I realized I think a lot of people do good works because they think they're going to be rewarded for those good works. Or they're going to be punished if they don't do those. I mean, that, and that's true. I mean, most people kind of do that. If you do good, good will happen to you. If you do bad, so let me do more good. Let me build up the karma. If you're a Christian, you realize all the goodness in the world has been given to you, not because you do good, but out of grace, out of mercy. Grace is not earned. You've done nothing to do it, and you're not going to be rewarded for good works you're, you're free in Christ, that means when you do good, you're not doing it to get a reward. You're doing it purely out of good. And so if you're doing something because you think you're going to get a reward, hey, do it. You know, we, we want everybody to do good things. But in your heart of hearts, you're really hoping to serve yourself because you're hoping to get the reward. It's only when you realize, I have everything by grace, and the good that I do is now done not anticipating anything, but it's purely showing grace to others. So I can love others and serve them with a pure heart because I'm not expecting any more love from God 
when I love my neighbor. I have all the love from God that I could ever have. And so when I love and serve someone else, it's not because I think he's going to love me more. That is giving a pure love, a pure heart. The other thing, we we do now out of a pure motive, but we also now can truly stand. If I realize God has forgiven me, if I realize God's love has been poured out to me purely by grace, I no longer have to try to get that anywhere else. If God says I'm worthy, I don't have to do something to try to prove my worth to someone else. Do you realize how much of our life is struggling? How much of our life, if I get to this point in my career, if I get to this point with education, if, if I look this way and, and if, I've looked, you know, if I'm attractive to other people, if, if my family is good, if people um, realize how um, righteous I am, all these other things, I'm looking to other people to validate me and to justify me and to give me meaning and purpose. And if I realize if the king of the universe loves me, who cares what my neighbor thinks, that I'm no longer fudging the truth on things so I look a little bit better. I'm no longer trying to manipulate people to use them to build myself up to make people think I'm better. That is, if I realize I have everything in God, I can love people without using them. I'm not trying to live through other people. I'm not trying to get my justification from them. I'm not trying to try to have other people do things to serve me and build me up. I have everything in Christ. I can love. I can be honest about my failures. If if I'm having to, y'all think that I'm the best pastor you've ever had. I'm never going to confess when I screw up. It's going to be really obvious. Y'all are all going to know, and you're going to be talking about it. But it's so much better when I can just say, you know, (laughs) I'm here by God's grace, and my failure here, um, let's work past it. Let's just be honest about mistakes. We can be one, we can, we don't have to put up a front with one another. Can I just say that's one of the things I absolutely love about this church is no one puts on a pretense of being holier than thou. There's no, when you say a prayer, you don't put on a different voice than when you talk to someone else. We, we, no one's trying to impress each other with how righteous and holy we are because we know we're here by grace. We know we're only here by God's mercy, and we already have that forgiveness. We don't have to try to convince one another to say, oh, look how spiritual they are. We can be in this together. We are saved by grace alone. That is the gospel, and that gospel prepares you to stand because it enables you to trust completely in him, not using other people, and enables you to serve and to love with a pure motivation, with a pure heart of grace. Would you please stand and let us stay where we believe the words of the Apostles' Creed.